So I want to have a word tonight before we dive into the word. Bless you, Paula. Chapter 5 is where we're going to start this evening. Uh, I'll be honest with you, and I mentioned it on social media, but uh, something's happening. (laughs) And I don't know if you can feel it or not, but I can feel it. And uh, it's exciting. Because, number one, uh, I'm not worthy to experience what Jesus Christ has allowed me to experience. I'm a sinner that was destined for a devil's hell. And for him to see me worthy enough through... uh, Dwelling His Holy Spirit in me that I can partake in this, it's absolutely humbling. I mean, to say the least, it is a, but I'll be honest, I've been in ministry for about 10 years now, and, uh, what I've felt in the last two months is something that, uh, I've not felt in the entire time of ministry. And what God has begun to deal with me is that, uh, and we're gonna try to dissect this, and I'll try not to get too happy, and I'll try to keep it slow, because I know it's a Wednesday night, and I'm supposed to be teaching. And I told the Lord, Lord, I don't want to preach, I want to teach, but uh, it may just come out. But uh, Romans chapter 5, so here's where I'm at, and we're going to read it in Scripture. But we know, let me just go ahead and read it so we can dive in. So it's, I want to start at verse 17 of Romans chapter 5. Because I honestly believe that we are in the last great outpouring of Jesus Christ before he comes back to the church. I believe we are in those times. Now, now what is watered down, and we're going to dissect that, what is watered down, is, and you hear a lot of Christians say it, that it's just getting worse and worse and worse, and the Lord's going to come, and if you're not ready, then you're not ready, and you're going to go to hell. That is true. <laughs> that is one side of that coin. But the other side of the coin is what God is dealing with me, is that, uh, what it says here in Romans chapter 5. So verse 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more... 
They which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So you're going to see in the next few verses this vast contrast between the sinful nature of the world and the goodness of God. So as it's waxing worse and worse, God's going to do more and more and more. Because we'll find out in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8, God is not willing. I, I, I can't stress that enough. God is not willing that anyone would perish. Not one. I'm talking about the worst of the worst of the worst. It is God's desire to save each individual. And so what? So we know that as the Lord's getting ready to come back, it's going to get worse and worse. So anyway, so we see this vast contrast. Therefore, verse 18, therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation... Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And look what it says right here in verse 28. God shattered me with, or verse 20. God shattered me with this the other day. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might bound. But look right here. This is what it says. Not my word, God's word. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So we see this level of, of the sinful nature of man. And I believe, because scripture says that as it gets closer, it will become more like it was in the days of Noah. Which we know that every imagination was evil. I mean, just sin is going to, it's, it's just going to, I mean, we see it. I mean, you can't deny it. It's everywhere. It's in our schools, in our governments, in our houses. I mean, it's out there. It is getting worse and worse each day. But what it says right here is, as sin will abound and get worse, actually, God's grace has to, by the nature of grace, being greater than sin. I thought my sin was great, and it was, but I met Jesus' grace, and it was more. So I believe, and we're going to see this, that dissecting, that as it gets closer and closer to the Lord's return, and closer and closer because... The world is getting more sinful that we are going to see God's grace at a level that we've not experienced since. Amen. And that's exciting. Yeah. Because, man, it can get depressing out there seeing how the world has turned to sin. I had a chance to talk to Recovery House yesterday in Bellwood, Virginia. Before I even got to the house, Bell, West Virginia, if you've not been there in a while, there ain't much going on in Bell. I mean, bless its heart. I, I mean... You got the plan up there, but that's about it. Sorry, Ryan. But I'm just saying, the city itself kind of desolate. And it's sad because I want to see flourishing cities and stuff, but this is what's happened. You know, everything's poverty, everything's drugs, everything's bad because sin is abounding. But I'm telling you, as much as sin grows, God's grace is going to grow you more. So now 2 Peter 3, verses 8, I want to read these to you. You probably know it. Second Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 8. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And this is our problem as Christians. Once again, we cannot understand or fathom the timing of God. We know He's returning. We see also that in Scripture it says it will be like a woman travails during childbirth, that the earth will travail before the Lord returns. We can feel those birthing pains. 
And, and, and yes, it can be painful, but as a Christian, knowing the capacity of God's outpouring of the Spirit, it's like a woman. I couldn't imagine Megan going through the childbirth or any woman that's ever went through childbirth. But the, 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 the reason you persevere is that it's going to produce something absolutely beautiful. You know, and I just can't help but to think that as sin abounds and God's grace just pours out because it's here. So he said, he says this, be ignorant of this thing. You're not going to figure it out. Because one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So if you're going to try to figure out when the Lord's going to return, you're not going to know it. Nobody knows the day, nobody knows the hour. But then it says this, but know this, be ignorant of this one thing. But the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to us for it. This is why He's saying... I know there's so many Christians, and I'm one of them, that's ready for the Lord to come back. And, I, and He is. And that's the thing. He's not slack. He's not forgotten about us. He's, he's not, you know, he, he didn't forget the day. He knows exactly when He's coming back. But there's a reason He's not returned. Because He's not slack on His promises. But it's because of His long-suffering. His goodness. We talked about the other week, Romans 2. That repentance actually is led by the love and goodness and long-suffering of God. But the long-suffering to us word, not willing. I love that. Man, I love that. God's not willing. There are people in my life, if you hurt me or if they've hurt you, you probably say, I'm done with them. I'm done with them. I'm not going to have anything to do with them in my life. They're toxic. I'm going to distance myself. And God, if anyone has a right to do that, it's God. But it says that He's not willing. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then he says in verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. We know that. So I love this. He's talking about the, the, the return of the Lord that we're not going to know. And then even, that's in verse 8. And in verse 10, it talks about what it's going to, that it's going to come like a thief of the night without expectation. It's just going to happen. But I love verse 9, stuck smack dab, that there's a reason he's not returned yet. Because he, he loves man in their sinful state so much that he, he's willing. And I believe that his grace is, is going to do a work in these last few days. So we're going to turn to Acts chapter 2. Here's where it's God's got me. Now Acts chapter 2, when the disciples, when the apostles are, are speaking, and, and it's after Pentecost, and, and once again they think they're drunk because they're speaking I mean, with a, a power of the Holy Spirit that they've never experienced before. And... Uh, Peter begins to speak uh, about about the about what he's what we're going to talk about here in Acts chapter two, but it's actually a reflection of Joel chapter two. So what Peter talks about in Acts chapter two from leadership of the Holy Spirit uh, is actually just reiterating what is Old Testament, and so they know this. And he's speaking verbatim. So you're going to say in Acts chapter two, but I want to read Joel chapter two, uh, just a few verses, and, and once again we're going to talk about the reflection. That is spoken about in Acts chapter 2. But Joel chapter 2 and verse 20 says this. But I will remove far off from you the northern army. And will drive into the land barren and desolate. With his face toward the east sea. And his hinder part towards the utmost sea. And his stink shall come up. And his savior shall come up. Because he has done great things. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice. For the Lord will do great things. Can I tell you tonight that if you've given up on God, <laughs> you're on you're on the wrong team, folks. 
And he says, fear not, O land. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring. For the tree beareth her fruit, and the fig tree and the vine do yield her strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause you to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And the floors, look at this folks, and the floors shall be full of wheat, and the vat shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. Man, I'm telling you, if we're talking about uh, how much has been destroyed by the enemy, how much has been robbed, and I know we look at the surface and we say there's no way that we can get it back. We're too far gone. And he says right here, and if you've ever been a farmer and you've seen when locusts or insects get in and they begin to eat your fruit, man, it's, it's over. They've destroyed your crop. They've destroyed the harvest, which Christ is saying the harvest is souls. But he says, I will restore to you the years, the years that the locusts have eaten. Not one day, not one week, because the devil's been doing a, a run on this nation, a run on this country, a run on this world for years. And he says, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army, which I sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of our Lord your, your God that hath dwelt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. So right there, it stops. Because Peter doesn't talk about that in Acts chapter 2. But he does pick up right after that. And I want to start at verse 15 of Acts chapter 2. So Acts chapter 2, starting in 15, it says, uh, For these are not drunken, this is what the, the people say, or Peter responds, because they say, obviously they're drunken because they're Galileans, they're uneducated, and yet they marveled at their speech. But they have been with Jesus, that's why the Holy Spirit fell upon them. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it says in verse 17, which picks up where we left off in Joel, And it shall come to pass... In the last days. It will come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Now let me say number one. When we talk about the spirit being poured out on all flesh. On all flesh. Now there's a difference between the oil, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're saved here tonight, you are saved because the Holy Spirit moved. You didn't have an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But we cannot be Christians unless the Holy Spirit comes upon us, draws us to, to salvation. Once again, it's not a work of the preacher. It's not a work of the deacon. It's not a work of anyone else. But the Holy Spirit does the work. So once again, we're talking about sin in a, in a drastic state in this last days. And an outpouring of God's grace and an outpouring. So he says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. I mean, I mean, he, once again, he's going to do this. I mean, I can't help but think in the baseball terms, the seventh inning stretch. And we're down by three, and and and, and that looks like we're going to lose the game, and and the, they got to call the bullpen and and bring in the closer. And sure enough, that's Jesus Christ. He's going to do that in these last days, and he's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. But there's a difference. Now, what's going to happen for the world is that that spirit's going to pour out on them. But that's different than you and me. 
We are partakers now. We're going to talk about that in a second. I'm telling you, there are going to be, it's going to be a drastic, I believe it, I do. And you can argue with me, we'll go into theological debates, but I believe there's going to be a revival before the Lord returns. Amen. Now it's so easy for us to put our feet up and say, no, let's just let it get worse and let bygones be guys. But I'm telling you, I've got lost loved ones, I've got friends and family that I want to see saved, and I'm excited that the Lord loves them more than I do, and isn't willing to see them perish, and He's going to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. But this is the difference. Uh, God's calling a people that are, uh, for us to once again be sons and daughters, that's the thing it says right here in verse, uh, let me find it, uh, in, uh, pour, so verse 18, and your sons and daughters, or actually verse 17 still, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Let's just talk for a second about sons and daughters. There's a difference between the flesh that's being poured out upon all, uh, the spirit that's being poured out on all flesh. Versus us who are sons and daughters of God. Once again, without the Holy Spirit, we're bastards. We're not adopted in the family of God. We don't have the, we don't have the Holy Spirit. We can't call Him Abba Father. But once again, that's what happened when we received Jesus Christ. We, we were adopted into the family of God. We're now sons and daughters of God. So we're not all flesh. Because let me just say this right now. This is all prophecy from the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, I'm going to read the verse... It says right here in Exodus 30 and 32 that whenever you would pour an anointing on a priest, that oil would flow. But it was drastic to understand that that oil was not allowed to touch flesh. Now we see, oh look, you got quiet. (laughs) We see that he's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. But I want to show you in scripture, that's not us. Because we are not of the flesh anymore. We are of the Spirit. (laughs) So as God begins to do a work to the whole world, we're going to be in a separate category, being able to participate in this last outpouring of what God's trying to do. So Exodus 30 and 32 says this, Upon man's flesh shall it not be poured. Neither ye shall make any other like it, after the composition of it, it is holy, and it shall be holy unto you. Now the priest had said it would, it would run off the hair, and it would run on the beard, and it would run onto the, the robe that they would wear. But it wasn't allowed to touch the flesh. It was very, and this is speaking of, once again, if you're going to participate in this last, in this last go get them um, from the Lord, we got to get flesh out of the way. we got to get flesh out of the way. I'm talking about pride. I'm talking about egos. I'm talking about competition from other churches. I've experienced in the last two months a, a, a breakdown that I've not seen in my time of ministry where church walls don't make a difference. And I can't help but to think maybe COVID had to do with that. Yeah. Uh, the devil tried to do his job, but maybe maybe God, once again, what, what he intended for evil, God intended for good. Yeah. But look what it says in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 9. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is an enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But look what it says right here. (laughs) It says this, but ye are not in the flesh. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So that's the first thing we have to see, that we have to understand. That once again, as this grace, as this outpouring of God's love is going to hit before he returns, simply because he's not willing to perish, that us ourselves 
have to get the flesh out of the way. And look what it says. We talk about this anointing of the Holy Spirit and how it's not supposed to touch the, the flesh, right? I, I didn't even know this verse is in here. Shame on me. You're probably going to fire me. I thought I'd read all the Psalms and maybe I've read it before. But Psalms 133, 1 and 2 says this. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. Okay, that's good already, right? But look what it says here. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, and even Aaron's beard then went down to the skirts of his garment. It's exactly what he's saying. Now look at this. If we can get the flesh out of the way, and we can dwell in unity, and save this world from the devil's hell, it says, man, how good and how pleasant is it that the brethren would dwell in unity. Number one, we got to get ourselves out of the way. Because if this is our last hurrah, if this is our last chance, we need to be on the same team. Man, he said the harvest is plenty. That's not the issue. The laborers are few. Yeah, but I got my territory here and I got my ministry here. Forget it. Forget that. We need to be in this together. And then it says, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Now, gosh, here we go. Brad's become Pentecostal. Brad's tearing down the walls. I want to understand what the... I, I had to look into the Greek of what this meant. Because once again, I wrestle with these things. And I'm not about to put a box on God. But then again, I want to rightly divide the word. I do. So this word right here says, shall prophesy. The word in the Greek is propheteo. Which literally means to assert by elevating one statement over another. Is what it says prophesy. Now, I'm not talking about a word that doesn't line up with God's word. But I'm here to say that right now, that in the last outpouring of God's grace, that we need to assert one word above any other. And that's the word of God. This is what we elevate right here. If we're going to prophesy anything, we're going to say, this is what saith the Lord God. We have it right here. This is everything we need. That God's got a plan for your life. That God can forgive any sin. That He's already prepared a, a place for you in glory. We have that right there. But it says your sons and daughters are going to They're going to assert a, a word by elevating one statement over the word. So, uh, as if I didn't get enough confirmation, I said, Lord, they might fire me with that. Can you give me something else? So, Second Peter chapter 119 says this. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. So Peter says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereun, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Amen. I'm excited to, that God's got a word for me to speak right here. Yeah. People have never heard this word. Seriously, I mean, to go into some of these surroundings... You would say, surely they know John three sixteen. Surely they know, uh, you know. Surely they know all these, you know, uh, Romans six and three and Romans five and eight. I hope they know all these things. Romans fifteen and fifty seven, First Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. They don't know any of it. So to us, it is a prophecy, man. It's speaking light into a dark area. I went in that home yesterday and I said, "Can I tell you this? That you're cursed." And they went, "What do you mean I'm cursed?" And I said, "You're cursed." And, they, and you know, they kind of got the look on their face. Like, well, tell me something I don't know. But I can tell. I said, but do you know that Galatians three and thirteen says that Christ took the curse from you, <laughs> that He bore it on a tree, that you may not be cursed anymore, and you can. Because once again, I'm, I'm going to preach on Sunday morning. I'm going to tell you right now. There's only two. There's curse and there's blessing. There's nothing else. Life and death, blessing and cursing. And He says, choose one. Yeah. So if you're not operating in a curse, then obviously you're operating in a blessing. 
And the sad thing is, we so often we don't know because we don't have a word. We don't have a word, that sure word of prophecy that comes from God's word right here. And then it says, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Now, you say to yourself, well, I don't believe in dreams, I don't believe in visions, but uh, I'll just tell you what God's word says. God's word says in Proverbs 29 and 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. And I hate to break this to you, but we just read in Peter that he's not willing that any should perish. So if you've got a vision that you're ready for the Lord to come and these people to die and go to hell, then that's not the same vision the Lord has. Because His vision is not willing. So He's got a vision and He's given us a vision of what He wants. He wants to save them all. For God so loved the world, the down and out, the worst of the worst. And I'm telling you, He's not willing. And that's the vision. So I have to ask yourself this question tonight. What is your vision? You know, you can have a good vision of what God wants to do and to save that your neighbor and to save your husband and to save your kids and to save that which that might be uh, down and out. I mean, that's the vision you should have. Because if you got any other vision, you're wrong. Turn with me to Jonah chapter 4. Real quick. Jonah had a wrong vision. (laughs) Here's a man that ran from the presence of God. Ran from the presence of God. Burned himself down to the bottom of a ship thinking that he can outrun God. I'm so thankful it wasn't me. I would have wrecked that ship. I would have drowned him in that ocean. But see, we don't serve a God like that. This God desires mercy. I thought about the other day about the prodigal. You know, and we preached it a thousand times. But that guy ran a whole kingdom. He had a whole kingdom to run. And yet, he spent his entire time on that porch looking for his son. To me, I'd say, brother, you got stuff to do. you got finances. you got servants. And it's, he says he delegated everything else. And all I'm consumed with is watching my son come home. That's the kind of God we serve that literally desires mercy. I can't help but to think that the whole plan of salvation, because people have asked me before, how come, how come he even allowed Satan to enter the garden? He could have fixed this whole problem by seeing it beforehand. But we serve a God that desires mercy. And you cannot give mercy to someone who does not need mercy. But the plan of salvation is that God would give mercy. And that's what he wants. He desires mercy. Mercy. So Jonah chapter 4, he, he finally has a, a change of heart after the storm, goes into Belly's well for three days, gets spit out on dry land, heads back to Nineveh where he's supposed to go, and preaches the gospel that God's going to return and judge their wicked ways, and sure enough, they change. And remember, he said, they aren't going to listen to me. And folks, if you're sitting there tonight, and you're thinking that God's grace is not greater than sin, then you need a story, you need to read Jonah again. It was a wicked place. And he said it won't work. Just kill it. Just burn it down to the ground. And let's go home. But God had different plans. And he knew what he was doing. So Jonah gets upset. And Jonah climbs up on the top of this hill. And it says in verse 9. And God said to Jonah. Oh, anyways. So he builds a gourd. And God. And he sits under the gourd during the shade of the day. The heat of the day. And God destroys the gourd. And Jonah's mad. He's mad because of the gourd. But he's more mad that God didn't uh, judge their wicked ways. That didn't destroy Nineveh. That's why he told me to go. You're going to destroy him. And he didn't destroy him. You just forgave him. That's what he's upset about. And he says in verse 9. And God said to Jonah. Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. 
And I know some people are so so ready to go to heaven that they're angry. They're angry that he's not came back yet. And I get it. I'm waiting for heaven too. But I'm telling you, I'm so thankful I'm on the inside and not on the outside. Because if I was on the outside and didn't know the Lord, man, I'd say, shut your mouth. I need one more day to get things right. I need one more day to get things right. But he says, then said, said the Lord, thou hast pity on the Lord. For the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons. Look right here. This is the grace of God. He has every reason to say that they, they did it to themselves. They have every reason to say they did it to themselves. They asked for this. They turned away from me. And this is the result of their sin. But he says that they don't even know how to deserve discern from the left to the right. He says these people don't know. Yeah. These people don't know. And folks, listen, there's a world out there that does not know that there's a devil's hell. Forget who said it, but they said everyone's talking about the second coming and half the world's not heard about the first. Right. <laughs> we are those people to be the hands and feet of Jesus to, that in this last great outpouring of God's spirit that he says that he says uh, wherein is born six four thousand persons that cannot discern between the right hand and the left hand and also much cattle he said you're worried about the gourd it literally came up in one night you didn't start it you created it and these people which are heading for devil's hell I'm telling you God wrought them before the foundation of the earth. He had a plan for their life before the womb. He did it all. They them themselves, even in their sin, were fearfully and wonderfully made. All their members were written, even though imperfect. That's what God did. He didn't just do it for the saved. He did it for the world. Sadly, sadly they turned and rejected Him. But us, we need to be greater than that sin and go after those. So then it says, back to Acts chapter 2. <laughs> This is exciting. We get to partake in what could be. Seriously. I'm so sick of talking about church history. I am. All I hear about is I wasn't raised in church. But I'll talk to people. They'll say, man, back in the day. Yeah. He's, uh, John Bourne, my great uncle, said, I remember falling asleep. He's, in, he's 90 now. He said, I remember falling asleep at 930 in a church pew and waking up at 1 a.m. and still being in revival. <laughs> So he said, still being in revival at 1 o'clock in the morning. He said, I was just a child, but I can remember it. He said, it was so thick. He said, they, they went all through the night. I'm sick and tired of talking about it. I don't want to talk about church history. I want to make church history. I want God to do something now. And I believe we're about to partake in what could be the last great revival, the last outpouring of God's Spirit, once again, to drill it into your mind, simply because... He is long-suffering and not willing that any should perish. Amen. So then it says this, verse 18 of Acts 2, And all my servants and all my handmaids I will pour out on those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So it reiterates it, so there's importance there. And then he says in verse 19, And I will shoot wonders in heavens above, in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Number one, let's talk about wonders in heaven. I don't know about you, but I believe a God that can still do miracles. I do. My God can still do miracles. Now, I'm not saying that it's in incorporation with man or not. You can you can slice it up however you want to. But I serve a God that's still in the miracle business. 
He can still do miracles. Now, once again, how did he says wonders in heaven? He said, Well, we don't need wonders in heaven. Heaven's perfect. We need wonders down here. We need signs and wonders. We need miracles. But look what John says, or Jesus says in John chapter 14. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works sake. What works? Remember, John said, ask him if he is the one to come. And he goes to him and they ask Jesus, John the Baptist wants to know if you're the one to come. And he doesn't say, yes, I am the one to come. He says, tell him what you've seen. Tell him that the blind has received sight, the lame have walked. <laughs> he said, don't, don't take him out. He said, either believe me simply to believe me or believe me for the word's sake. Believe me because I'm a miracle working God. There's no one that came around Jesus that did not encounter a supernatural experience. And it says wonders in heaven. So anyways, John 14, believe me that I am in my Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Another statement to take note of. Anytime, verily, verily. That's of a drastic importance. Verily, verily, I say unto you. He that believeth on me, the works that I do... He shall do also, and greater works than shall these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. So once again, he is now operating in intercession on our behalf from heaven. So anything that we are allowed to partake in here is not because of merit or work or how hard you do it. It's simply a gift from God. If someone has cancer and cancer is no longer there and you pray for that individual, give God the praise because it's because of an operation because Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father serving His intercession for you and me. Because I go unto my Father. You'll do the same works. In fact, you'll do greater works than even my Anthony died. Talked about that guy in Africa. I've never seen anything like it in my life. This one guy. Uh, what was his name? Do you remember his name? Anybody? Reinhard Bonnke. Yeah, Reinhard Bonnke. Went had a had a burden for Africa, and it's like he, he went there to, to save Africa. I'm talking about night after night, 1.8 million people. I mean, I've never seen pictures of like this in my life. I don't read that in the Bible. I see 3,000 added to the kingdom. But this is what the Holy Spirit, God has no ego. He's so, he's so excited to work through the church, which is the body of Christ, to see everyone saved. He says, listen, great, I did amazing works. Greater works you'll do. Because I'm going to my Father. And you now have the Holy Spirit in operation. And then if it wasn't good enough, he says in verse 13 of John 14, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Amen. Wonders in heaven. I believe in these last days we're going to see those. This, we're going to see people I mean, delivered from addiction, delivered from problems. I'm going to see, I mean, I'm telling you, a great outpouring uh, for this. And then it says signs in the earth. Well, we know that. Look at it. The floods and the earthquakes and the viruses... Whatever it's manufactured by man or not, or naturally made, you can't help but to think there's stuff going on in the world today we've never seen before. Yeah. Earthquakes in Texas and things like that, you know, derechos and tsunamis, but, but this is all signs in the earth that we know is going to happen. Matthew chapter 24. Yeah. And ye shall, verse 6, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, man, we're there. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. <laughs> You're going to hear about it, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, we see that, and the kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, 
and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So we see this is all signs of it. But once again, as we see all this happening, we see all this happening, it's simply because the Lord wants to save. He does. I'm excited. And if if it's not proof to you that that's why, God, so look at verse 20 and 21. This is what the word says, Acts chapter 2. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And look what it says in verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the point, this is what Peter says. And it talks about that in Joel, this restoring, this outpouring in his last days. But simply, so that whosoever in that day, whosoever shall call upon the name, shall be saved. Man, that's good news to me. That's good news to me. I want to partake in that. I do. And he goes on to say, the word is going to end there, but he does say in verse 22, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken him by wicked hands of crucified slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. <laughs> I love that. It's all because of what you did. Because you thought you were going to destroy God. You thought you were going to kill this one who said he was the son of God. But in fact, it was the foreknowledge of God. It was only because of the ordination of God that actually not only the death would be the final story, but the resurrection that he may loose the pains of death. That's what we're experiencing right now. Sin is death. But Christ came to loose the sins of death. I'm telling you right now, folks, sin is great. And man, it's getting ugly out there. But God's grace is always greater than sin. Amen. If it's not, then we, there's no, salvation is not possible. We would still be dead in our sins and trespasses. But God's grace is greater than sin. And I cannot be, can help but be convinced in Scripture that as sin is waxing worse and worse, as we near the day that of Lord's return, that His grace is just going to be unbelievable. But we're going to experience something we've never... And this is no time to sit back and watch. This is no time to be in the stands. This is an opportunity that if you're a son and daughter of God, that you can say, I'm going to participate in this. Man, to see a nation saved. And I'll be honest, as I speak those words, my flesh says it's not going to happen. It's not possible. But my spirit says otherwise. You know, the flesh is the enemy of the spirit. The flesh is saying, yeah, good luck with that. Have you seen it? You were just talking about Bell, West Virginia. What about the rest of the world? That's what the flesh says. But my spirit says it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm telling you, I have been burdened with this all week. I wanted to preach it Sunday, so I can't wait. i got to talk about it tonight. I've never experienced anything like this in my life. And you know it. If you're a Christian, you can feel it. There are things happening that, my gosh, you can either close your eyes and plug your ears and say, I didn't, and, and try to ignore it. Or you can say, God, what are you doing? I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this. He, he has a calling for you. He has, a, he has a ministry for you. He wants to do a work through you that, once again, you've got to get on the same page with him. He's not willing that you should perish. And you shouldn't be either. That one on the street, that one that's wronged you, the one that's hurt you, they hate. They need the Lord. They all need the Lord. That's what I've got for tonight. I just want to, uh, Rob, Elaine, can you guys come and get an invitation?
Let me talk about this. So he talked about revivals again, but see, to be revived again, you got to have a heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> it's for the when the heart stops, you take the paddles and you, yeah. you bring that life back in. But can I tell you this? Jesus Christ did not come. I want to just tell you, he did not come to make bad men good. No, no, we we got programs for that. Jesus Christ came to make dead men alive. That's what he came to do. He wants to put a heartbeat in you. He wants to put a heartbeat in you that bumps at the same beat of the goodness of God. That's what he wants to do for you. And if you don't have that heartbeat, I'm telling you right now, he's not willing that you should perish. That he wants you to come to know him personally. That's what repentance is. It's just to turn to him, not away from him. You've been living your life there. But to turn to him and run into his arms. And once again, John sat at the bosom. And I can't help but to think that John, the apostle, sat at the bosom of Christ. It's the closest place to hear that heartbeat. And man, once you hear that heartbeat and you know that he loves you unconditionally, it is the most beautiful thing you ever encounter in your life. And I want to invite you tonight as they get a song to listen. Revive us again is for those that have been saved. But if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as personal Savior, you're dead in your sins and trespasses. I know that's a bold statement. I know no one wants to hear it, but it's true because I've experienced it. And Jesus Christ came in and man, he brought life and life abundantly into this dead life. Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. And listen, if you're a Christian tonight and you're excited for what God's going to do and you want to participate in that, maybe you need to come and pray and say, God, what do you got for me? What do you got for me?